kids. I heard a copy calling. Shankly, the hearty. Hello and welcome to the Cop Table podcast. I'm your host, Peter Phillips. This is our first podcast this evening since we joined our new home of Cop Left. Before I introduce our guests today, I'd like to place on record our gratitude and appreciation to our former home of Fresh Liverpool, who did so much for us during the past 18 months. And big thanks to Luke and Ollie, who took the time out to help us along the way. So tonight we are previewing the new Premier League 16-17 season with our guests Greg Johnson and Alex Yaroshevsky. Also on the show tonight is Stu Wright, who's uh, from the Anfield Rap and he's going to be co-hosting with me tonight, standing in for Peter Collis. So big thanks to you for coming on to the show, uh, Stu. Yeah, no problem, happy to be on. Excellent. What I'll say about our guests, I'll introduce them uh, on their own as well. Greg is a football writer for Squawker and also co- contributes to the Mundial magazine. So welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Very well, thank you very much. Our other guest this evening is Alex Yaroshevsky. Alex is uh, an American reporter who also um, contributes to the Anfield Index podcast and also is a writer for Football Grad. So very warm welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Okay, so let's get into the preview of the Premier League season. Starting off with you, Greg, I'd just like to ask you, with the likes of Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho and Ronald Koeman all applying their trade in the north of England now, do you think uh, the focus has switched to the clubs up in the north of England away from the clubs down south? Yeah, I'd certainly like to think so. I think there's, there's something a bit special about the football in the northwest, especially. Um, obviously, the northeast has got a, a great romance to its, its, its itself as well. But uh, I mean, you look look at the amount of historical clubs with all the success in the northwest, and there's, 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 the history just can't be beaten, really. Um, and they're not just clubs that have won things. There's a real personality to Liverpool, United, Everton, even City as well. I don't buy this idea they've got no history. So I, I, I'd like to hope so. Yeah, and I think you look at the caliber of managers up here now. I mean, Guardiola is, to my mind, he's the best best manager in the world of actually building a team and, and kind of bringing players their full potential. And then Mourinho, he's, he's a born winner. Koeman, he, he, he seems like kind of an upgrade on what Moyes was for Everton. He's got the substance. He's got a bit of style as well. And then Jurgen Klopp. I said Guardiola's the best manager in the world. Klopp's up there for me as well. And I'm expecting to do massive things in Liverpool this season. We, we have got some real stellar managers up in the Northwest, haven't we? As Pete's just said then. I mean, Alex, who do you think out of Klopp, Koeman, Mourinho, Guardiola, who's going to... Who's going to have the most influence on their team? You know, in terms of how well they do this season, do you think? Well, um, undoubtedly, to me, this is Jurgen Klopp because he's already had six months with the club. I mean, a little more than six months with the club. Players know him. Uh, that's actually a good point that Antonio Conte brought up in the press conference in uh, LA, where I was a week ago. That this is basically a little bit of advantage to Jurgen Klopp. Of course, he's got a, lo- a lot of new players this summer. Some of them will be definite starters. We we can understand that, but still, uh, I think he he can have a, a, the largest influence, the biggest influence on the squad, as opposed to uh, let's say Mourinho and uh, Kuman and uh, Guardiola. But I'm really interested to see how Guardiola fares this time around because I agree that he is definitely one of the top managers in the world. But if you think about it, Guardiola has been managing teams which had world-class players all the time. I mean, his Barcelona stint was uh, was was just remarkable, winning so much. 
with it, turning so many players into uh, phenomenal stars. Bayern Munich, maybe to a lesser extent, but still, those were two super clubs. City is not a super club yet, regardless of how much money they spent. We know how poor they have been in Champions League. Guardiola is obviously there to change it. He's a world-class manager signing for them. But I'm really intrigued to see how he does there uh, because, I mean, uh, obviously he, he is one of the top managers in the world. It's a very different challenge for him, though, isn't it, now coming to the Premier League where you've got so many, so many teams who, who can compete at the top level, whereas in Germany and Spain, he's managed clubs that really have had it their own way or only had one or two competitors at, at best. I mean, the Premier League is a very, very different story, isn't it? Absolutely. That's uh, basically one of my points, that this is going to test his managerial ability to the maximum. I mean, if he went to Tranmere Rovers or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, any third league club or any, anything like that, that would be even better. Uh, and I, in, this, in this respect, I have to laud Rafa Benitez, who stayed at Newcastle after being relegated. That's the real managerial test. Guardiola doesn't have that kind of test, but still, it's far more testing challenge for him than being a manager of Barcelona in a basically two-league team, uh, two-league, uh, two-team league at the time, because Atletico was still not that much on the map at the time uh, when he managed Barcelona. Uh, maybe Valencia was, uh, you know, go- going for some challenge, but still, it was more or less a two-league team, uh, two-team league. Sorry. Uh, and Bayern Munich is the same. Not much competition there. In Premier League, as we've seen last year, Leicester can win it. Any other team can win it. So this, this is very competitive and I'm really interested to see how it does. It'd be lovely to, you know, if all the focus is on Mourinho and Guardiola and, and Klopp can, can just, you know, sneak up on the rails unnoticed. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Just moving across to you, Greg. There's been a, a lot of transfer activity this summer. I mean, they're, they're talking about potentially even us breaking the, um, the, the billion pound mark in terms mm-hmm. of transfers by the end of the summer. Which signing do you think by a Premier League team is going to have the, the most impact this season? I think, I'm not trying to say it's just on a, a Liverpool podcast, um, but I think if you look in, in relation to the role this player is going to have in their team and how it fits into the kind of schemes of the manager with his previous sides, I actually think Sadio Mane for Liverpool, I know he's, he's had a bit of stick for the price tag he's got and the relative lack of status compared to other big ticket signings that maybe Liverpool fans wanted to see come to Anfield. But I think you look at the, the role that players like Marco Royce played for Dortmund, for Klopp, and I think Mane is, is a player in that profile. Um, and you've got Coutinho to kind of be the playmaker out wide, but Mane is, is the quick, rapid, counter-attacking, goal-scoring, chance-creating winger who's going to come from, from the flanks, cut inside, and make things happen. I, I, he, he did very well for Southampton, but I think Klopp's a much more aggressive attacking manager than Koeman. And, and to some extent, Mane was, was always playing with the handbrake on uh, for the Saints. So I, I think it's almost like we're going to see the real uh, Sadio Mane at Liverpool. And I think it's going to be re- really a really exciting sign, signing for Liverpool. That's a really good shout. I've, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the influence that Ibrahimovic is going to have at Man United, though. You know, I mean, if you look at a value sign in there, even if it's not even, even if we don't see him at his best on the pitch, you know, with his age now coming into it as a factor, the influence he could have on that team could be quite significant. Do you think? I agree with that, but I, I think the problem Ibrahimovic and United have got really is. You look at the players, it's not so much the quality of the individuals, it's how it's going to fit together. And there's one huge, massive problem in that team, and that's Wayne Rooney. I think if Mourinho were to play him up front, you know, you could build an attack around him. He's, de- he's, he's not at his best, best anymore, but I think you look at him and Ibrahimovic in an attack together, they're two quite static players these days. I mean, Rooney does like to roam, but he's not the quickest. He's not actually the most agile anymore. And you've got players like Mkhitaryan and Martial that are going to want to be a bit more fluid. And I actually think you've almost got two different 
two different types of players there that, are, that aren't necessarily going to coalesce. That they might actually butt up against each other. I mean, we see in the friendlies recently, Mkhitaryan was trying to go into the space where Rooney was, and it didn't quite work. Mkhitaryan looked much better when he was played in the hole. And I actually think Rashford looked very good as well when he was played behind the main striker. So even though Ibrahimovic is great value looking at goals he scored in France last season, I wonder if having to force him and Rudy into the same attack is kind of going to it's going to nullify them both to some extent. Well, that sort of asks my next question to you, Greg, as we're on the point of Rooney. Where, where do you see him actually fitting into that Manchester United side with, with obviously, Abramovich is going to be starting up front, isn't he? Is there a space for him Is a number 10? Is there a space for him in the centre midfield where he played for England? Or do you see him sitting out a few games? Uh, well, Mourinho said he's, he's not an eight, he's not a six for me. He's definitely not going to play in midfield for Mourinho. And in, in the game against Galatasaray, which United won 5-2, um, he actually looked better when he was kind of given a role as the poacher. His, his all-round play wasn't good. Again, sloppy, his first touches weren't great. But he, he got two goals, and that's kind of what Rooney's become in, in the re- last few years. He's not a player that kind of has like the full package anymore. He's just there to finish things off. But then at the same time, Ibrahimovic is kind of that, but with far more. His technique's better, he's stronger, he's bigger, he's more athletic, he's more agile. So I think ideally, if there was no pressure from the sponsors, pressure from the commercial side, things pressure by the wage packets that Rooney draws in every week, which obviously has an influence on on how the team has to play because Mourinho is going to get a lot of stick from the board, no matter how much power he has, if he's leaving out a player on £300,000 a week to sit on the bench. So I think Rooney's going to have to to play even if it's just that Mourinho can prove that he needs to sell to China next summer and I think he's going to play behind Ibrahimovic I can't see Ibrahimovic playing behind because I think Ibrahimovic is even slower look at his age he's going to have to be the, the guy at the front that they kind of pin everything up to with all the younger guys running in from the flanks yeah, and for all his, his talk about it, he does give youngsters a chance does that mean that the young lad Marcus Rashford's not going to find himself in that starting 11 do you think not starting, no. And I think you'll see him pop up on the flanks a lot more. I don't buy this whole uh, Mourinho does give youth a chance. He doesn't. Uh, he, a, youth policy is, a youth policy isn't giving the best players available to you who are young a chance. It's doing what Van Hal did and also what, what guys like Klopp do as well. It's giving a, a whole range of youngsters that from the good to the great, you've got to try the guys that are maybe five and six out of ten because they might surprise you. They might pull something out. They, they might become the player that no one saw breaking through and then they become the new kind of the new local lad who's going to give a bit more than just quality to the team, going to give a bit of mentality, a bit of bit of identity as well. And I don't think Mourinho does that. He's he's a franchise manager that comes to a club, demands a big checkbook to sign proven world-class players that he can win trophies with in the short term. And I think his lack of trust and kind of patience with kind of giving players that need a bit more time to become as good as he can be, that's ultimately what means he's only a short-term manager. I mean, you look at Chelsea, had he not alienated and pushed out the guys like De Bruyne and Lukaku, when his first first team ran out of steam last season, imagine if he had those players to drop in his options. That would have given him a whole new like lease of life, some fresh blood, and maybe would have thrown off the fatigue that set in. And I think that's the problem with Mourinho. He, he pushes people away rather than trying to get the best out of them. Excellent points. Thank you very much for that, Greg. Okay, then, Alex, moving on to the next one for you. In your opinion, which team has done the, the best business in this, this summer's transfer window? Well, I have to say I'm very impressed with uh, the way Liverpool has done business so far because I've, I've said this before, all the players that Liverpool has purchased so far look like a very smart signing. Even Klavan, uh, Ragnar Klavan, the 30-year-old defender, he looked very decent in the pre-se- uh, pre-season games in the United States. I actually managed to interview him. He's got a great personality as well. If he's got, you know, half a skill of uh, what kind of personality he has, he'll, he's going to be great. 
backup uh, option for Liverpool uh, this season. I, I mean, and nobody knows who's Klopp going to play in centre-back. Side of Mane, uh, that, that Greg mentioned, uh, I agree, it's a good shout that he may be very influential for the team. But my, my favourite at the moment is Gini Wijnaldum. I think this guy can actually be of very good use to Liverpool. He can shine if utilised in the right way. Uh, he has all the makings of a very decent midfielder, whether it's about controlling the midfield or uh, spraying passes or even being more, more of an attacking-inclined midfielder. I think he's actually versatile, as Klopp described him. I'm also very impressed if we talk about the other teams. Clearly, I'm impressed with uh, the way the Manchester City have done business. The signing of Leroy Sané, is, uh, that could prove uh, immense for for them and the league in general. Uh, and that also could actually spell the end of Raheem Sterling's career, if you can say that, because the, the players are very similar position. Very similar players, but Sané definitely right now has much more integrity and class than Sterling after a uh, holding season he's had with, uh, with the Sky Blues. Chelsea has done good business as well, but I think they're not done yet. I was very impressed with the way they played in, in the United States. Uh, you know, I managed to see them uh, firsthand. Uh, Conte, having played a handful of matches with the team, has already instilled his philosophy, which is, uh, you know, defensive-minded when you need it, offensive-minded when you also need it. It's very composed and very balanced in midfield. And considering that they were playing without N'Golo Conte uh, in that game that I watched in, the, in Los Angeles, he will be a massive player for them. So, honestly, I, I don't really buy into the hype around Manchester United, even if they break the record signing Pogba. I mean, it's, it's not yet confirmed, but every, everyone says it, it will be confirmed soon. As a Liverpool fan uh, with uh, more, almost 30 years of experience, there's nothing I want more to see Man United perish and suffer and implode, especially this season. So I can't, I can't really, you know, sit there and believe that they've, they've done a great business. I'm, I'm seriously mad at them for buying Hitarian. This is the player that I wanted at Liverpool for more than six years already. He is a great signing for them as well, but I wouldn't put them at Man United as, you know, in the top five of signings this season so far. Greg, Alex has just touched slightly there about Pogba. This deal is a massive risk, isn't it, for, for United? It's a huge amount of pressure that's going to be on the lad week in, week out. There's going to be a huge amount of scrutiny on him. And also Mourinho, really, with the, the money he's invested in him. It just heaps that pressure on to United, in my opinion. But what, what do you think? I, I think I, I totally agree it heaps the pressure on. But uh, I don't just think Pogba's a, a special player. I think he's also a very special person. And he, I think he actually he kind of wants this attention. I think he, he sees himself as a superstar. He portrays himself as a superstar. I think he's loving it. I think you look at the, the images of him lays around the jacuzzi with uh, Mina Raiola. He's he's absolutely loving the attention that's being being put on him. And I don't really think he's going to care what people think about his transfer. He said from the start his goal is to become the next Ballon d'Or winner after Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And Man United wasn't his first choice. He originally wanted to go and work on the Manchester work on the Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, and then he wanted to go to Barcelona. Then Real Madrid. So in some ways, Man United isn't isn't the top of his list. But the chance to work with Jose Mourinho, someone who helped to bring the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo in Madrid, that's also an attraction. I'm not saying that he he's going to United by default. I said earlier that Rooney's the big problem with United. Pogba, if not this season, then in the future, he is the solution to that. And as much as it's a hundred million or whatever the cost will be. United are going to recoup that money with all their commercial activities. I'm not sure to talk about shirt sales because that money's already come in from, from Adidas. They're going to do it through, through their advertisements, through their media partners, through their commercial activities. And what's kept Rooney in a job for so long is the fact that he's been the face of the club. Now, in the future, Paul Pogba, who's rated as one of the most commercially valuable players in the world, his, his markability is off the scale. He's going to be the new guy. Him and Zlatan are going to be the guys fronting the campaigns, bringing in the money, which means that Rooney's 
kind of purpose to club off the field is going to be lessened, which means that there's more of a case for potentially moving on to somewhere like China where they're happy to pay over the odds for someone just for their status. And then Pogba can not only free up that role in midfield where he can have a bit more fluidity to bring the best out of everybody else, but he can actually become the next superstar of United. And I think in that context, as much as it is a big gamble, there's a lot of money at play, I think if it all works, I think United's transfers this summer have been incredible. I, I say, as I say, if it works, if the chemistry does click in, because I mean, you look at Pogba with Mkhitaryan playing off Marshall and Luke Shaw off the left. It, if if it works, it could be spectacular. But I understand you guys are Liverpool fans, so I guess you know, gotta hope it doesn't. But at the same time, I think the potential's there. And like I say, United's commercial might. I think it means even a hundred million. It's almost like an investment on a commercial side of things, well spent. Allow me to add into this. There's another point that I really want to mention in terms of uh, Bobbitt's trans. And Conte spoke about this, and I totally agree with him, that a hundred million barrier broken potentially transfer is a Pandora's box for managers. Because right now, even average players, I mean, I'm, I don't want to take anything for Pogba. He's definitely a special player. The question is whether he's more expensive than Messi or, or Ronaldo. That's, that's another issue. But still, it's a hundred million pound border, which is going to be broken this time. I'm not saying like world-class quality, but top quality will thus go into a 20, 30, 40 million pound category because there will always be this valid argument. Look, Pogba costs 100 million. Then basically it inflates all other prices for all other footballers. And Conte spoke about this in the context that it's it makes the managers work much more difficult because not every club obviously has such money like Manchester United. It will be hard for the likes of Leicester. It will be hard for the likes of Stoke City and, and others with, who don't mm-hmm. have like this crazy financial might. I mean, Leicester just got Ahmed Musa from CSKA Moscow, the guy who scored a brace against Barcelona last, which was phenomenal for a for mm-hmm. new uh, performance. Uh, but they got him for uh, 25, almost 25 million pounds, if I'm not wrong, uh, which is crazy money for the Russian Premiership. Um, I, and I can tell you because I'm Russian. Uh, but you know, it, it, is, it is a dangerous Pandora's box in terms of you know inflating prices for other people. And in that respect, I'm not a fan of the 100 million uh, transfer for Paul Pogba. I just got to say, I, I mean, I agree. I'm not a fan of the figure either. I think ultimately it's bad for football. It's bad for the health of the game as well. But in the context of a, of a transfer market that's, that's already lost <laughs> all kind of sense of, um, you know, what, reality, reasonable. exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, I think, I think <laughs> Alex is exactly right. I mean, 50 million is the new 25 million. It is, it's got that bad. Um, you look at, you look at the deals being cut now and the average like price for a punt on a young player, a young top striker is like 30, 40 million. That's why Wenger's not going out there signing. These, the next Henri because the next Henri is going to set him back about 45 million quid it's meaningless now isn't it the money but you know I, I found it interesting what you said there about Pogba Greg when you you, you spoke about how he's, he's handling the, the, the media attention at the moment and there's definitely a touch of the Ronaldo's about him there's, there's mm-hmm. that strut that he's got he is enjoying it but the thing is with, with Ronaldo Ronaldo could could back it up and I'm sure Pogba can as well but Ronaldo could carry a team on his back what he's done at Real Madrid and partly because of the position that he plays in as well his scoring rate has been off the charts it's been phenomenal now Pogba plays in a, obviously in a slightly different position how much do you think he's going to be able to back up that price tag how much do you think he's going to have that immediate impact to be able to carry a team on the back because with, with those new signs bedding in at Man United and they have been very decisive in their signs but the, there are some problems to solve as has been touched on 
in that starting eleven. How much can, can Pogba respond to that as the main man and carry the team on his back, do you think? I think, just, just to take it back to one second, Ronaldo, um, I, I agree, his, his goal-scoring rate is phenomenal. But um, I've always been a bit suspicious of the idea that he kind of carries his teams because I think a lot of the time he, he is like the ultimate finisher and his teams actually do a lot of the work for him, setting up the chances. But obviously he hits the headlines because he hits back in the net. And I think that is where Pogba is going to struggle. And it also depends a lot on how Mourinho actually plays his team. Because, I mean, as much as Pogba could be the solution to Rooney in the long term, in the short term, again, he's going to have to try and play Pogba, Rooney, Ibrahimovic, Martial, Mkhitaryan. It's it's a big puzzle to solve. I think you're also right. I mean, Pogba's not going to be banging in goals like five goals a week or whatever it is Ronaldo and Messi can do. Um, He's almost like how when Zidane went to Real Madrid, he's less of a kind of a, a stats monster he's more of a, it's more like a signing for the kind of player he is and what he represents it's more like by, by investing a load of money in a great piece of art rather than you know a machine that's gonna output a, a known quantity every week but i think he, he is gonna give united seven to eight out of ten performances every week without fail um, and i think he does dominate games far more than people realize i mean at juventus every single season he added something new to his game or he mastered another another suite of skills so it used to be said that he floated in out of games and it became much more consistent said he couldn't dominate games and he really upped the defensive side of what he did um, and he said he, he couldn't score goals he couldn't create chances he was the, the top he was joint the top assist creator in Serie A last season so I think he's 23 he's constantly getting better and he's adding more to his game every year and I think you saw at France I mean it was a shame that you know it, it didn't quite work for Didier Deschamps but he trusted Pogba to do the boring diligent stuff he was almost like Francis Michael Carrick in the final to some extent <laughs> Uh, he can do the, the boring stuff well as well, even though France weren't able to capitalise in the end. But I think it's it's almost it, it makes me almost think of when Varon went to Man United, and I think that that is the the issue. I don't think Pogba's ever going to be able to have the, the sheer emperor in terms of goals and assists that people expect in the era after Messi and Ronaldo to justify those kind of prices, and he, that could be something that hangs over him forever. But again, I think he himself, as a personality and as a driven footballer, he wants to get to the top. I don't think it's going to knock him as much as you might think it could. Can he have the influence then of a, of a Keane or a option do you think absolutely and I, I wonder how they'd be perceived in um in today's game really uh because i mean i, I think keen will have done all the boring stuff really well at the interceptions all the things that michael carrick gets panned for because michael carrick isn't a, a creator of goals or a scorer of them i wonder if, if they'd be appreciated today because pe- people do tend to look at the the top line stuff and often overlook the importance of doing the boring things well as well i think we've had enough of man united talk though now haven't <laughs> <laughs> i haven't coped with much more <laughs> fair <laughs> enough i agree <laughs> yeah okay then uh Back over to you then, Alex. Uh, we'll move on to uh, our predictions for the season. We'll move on to them. So, which teams do you think is going to struggle at the wrong end of the table this season? For some reason, I think that Bournemouth would be one of the strugglers. I don't know. They, I, I know they, they signed Jordan Ibe and Brad and, Smith, uh, yeah. Brad Smith, yeah. But I, I think they're, they're, they're going to struggle this season. I also think that probably there's a big chance that Watford may, 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 may struggle as well. For the other two, I think it might be something surprising. I think it might actually go into maybe Stoke City, even though they have a very strong squad this season. But I think there's going to be another another shocker this season down there uh, in the basement, as it was last season, obviously, with Villa and Newcastle relegated. For the fourth one, that's that's actually a tough one. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think there will be at least one shocker. I think there will be at least one more or less prominent Premier League club which will be fighting for relegation and probably get relegated in the end. Uh, because, I mean, there's just too many good teams this season. You know, the, the managers, the teams, the players coming in, it's, it's just going to be a massively crazy competition. So I think that, that that's going to be quite intriguing down the bottom as well. 
Yeah, personally, I think the three promoted teams might struggle as well, Hull and... Oh, yeah, Hull. Hull, Hull will definitely struggle. I yeah. agree with that. I, I worry about Swansea as well. Their mm-hmm. business has not been good, and they're selling... I mean, they've, they've kept Sigurdsson, but they just sold Gomis. They haven't really got a main striker. They're, um, they're getting Lorente, apparently, according to the reports. Yeah, apparently well, if, that's if a deal ha- tonight, yeah. Are they going to lose Ashley Williams, though? That's another point, yeah. You upgrade on Gomis, not another Gomis, if you know if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think, chaps, then, of top four predictions? We'll go to you, Greg, first. Um, I'm going to go with Manchester City. Not in this order, by the way. Uh, Manchester City, Man United, Chelsea and Liverpool. The reason why I say Liverpool is I think Klopp's pretty much going to have a week per game to prepare his team to kind of really drill down into what he wants his players to deliver. And I think that's what Klopp needs to kind of really kick up his uh, redevelopment of Liverpool up a notch. It's going to be like a, a season of incubation, if you will, to to really, you know, make Liverpool play the way he wants to. I think he's got all the ingredients now to turn them into like a, a red version of, of Dortmund. It's just kind of finding his, his absolutely strongest team and then getting the consistency week in, week out with the same players, getting that chemistry up where they can play this kind of automatic, rapid counter-attacking football that he was known for in Germany. So is it, is it you're saying there then it's going to be finally the season where Arsenal drop out the top four? I think it could be, yeah. I know, I know it's a massive risk because everyone's always writing off Wenger. But um, I think Arsenal have possibly got the strongest midfield they've had for quite some time. But in kind of putting their money there, they they look short at the back, very short. Murtazak is not getting any younger and he's, he's, he's going to be injured for the start of the season. And he's, 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 he's already slow. Um, and I, I really do think they need to get a new leader at the back to pair up with Koscielny. Um, and be that kind of covering defender that they've been crying out for for seasons. And, and I mean, Mustafi could be the guy, but I'm still not sure if Wenger would be happy even paying £25 million for, for a player like that because he is still very conscious of the figures. And up front, I mean, I know it's a cliche to batter Giroud. I think he's very good at what he does. His hold-up play is for sensational. And you saw, you saw at the Euros, when you're playing with, with a guy playing off him, he can be very effective as well. But I, I, I don't know, it's just... It's it's Arsenal are very strong in the middle, but I just think that they're so paper thin. Uh, but uh, the, the other two sides of the park that this could be the year it comes unstuck. Sounds good to me. Although I, I, I would like to see Liverpool a little bit higher than fourth. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. What do you oh, think, Alex? That was that wasn't in order, by the way. So they they, they <laughs> you know could go higher, could go higher. Uh, that makes me feel a little bit better. What do you think, top four then, Alex? I'll 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 tell you two versions of my top four. Uh, one is uh, from a Liverpool fan perspective. I think it will be uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, Man United. Because I, I seriously hope and believe that Liverpool can actually win the title this season. Uh, yeah, I know I can be slated for... Oh, I'll keep know, talking, even, keep going. <laughs> I can be slated for even voicing such opinion. But, uh, I mean, I haven't felt this excited about Liverpool in a very long time. Um, and by long time, I mean probably like six, seven years or something like that. Uh, we, we've had a really good window and it's not over yet. We still can have, you know, potentially a left-back signing, uh, as some, some are suggesting. Even if not, it's all right. Um, I think we have a very de- decent chance to, uh, to to challenge for the title, not for the top four. That's, of course, if Klopp wants to challenge for the title. But it seems that, uh, com- considering what he's been saying in the latest interviews, it seems he wants to go all the way, full throttle, until the very top. Not just setting you know, brackets of make it third, make it fourth. So this is my fans' perspective. The more realistic perspective, probably, would be Manchester City winning the league, Chelsea coming second. Liverpool third and Manchester United fourth. As much as uh, that may seem un- improbable in terms of how much money the United are spending on it, I still, I'm still not buying into the hype. I think uh, Greg actually brought a lot of good points considering Rooney and how the chemistry will click. Uh, Mourinho is a, is, a, is a phenomenal manager, but he, is, you know, he, he can be a, mi- a miracle maker all the time. And let's not forget, 
last season when he was sacked from Chelsea, which was uh, just abysmal for uh, from the man management point of view and from tactical point of view, from all points of view, basically. So you don't get a sack for no reason, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I think. I, I think Liverpool will definitely be in top four. But, you know, as a fan, I think it will win the league. As uh, trying to be more pragmatic, I think it will be third. I think it's really interesting that both of you are, are very secure in, in feeling that Arsenal and Tottenham will both drop out the top four. I mean, Tottenham have been very quiet on the transfer front, haven't they? They have, to be fair, yeah. Um, I think they've signed a guy, NG, haven't they? And then, other than that, there's, there's not much activity been around Tottenham. So, yeah, you're right there, Stu. Um, They've got the lad from, um, from Holland, Janssen, the striker. Oh, who, that's right, yeah, Victor Janssen. But you, you, you would have expected them to do more to, to solidify the position, wouldn't you? Guys, they, they all got more, uh, Victor Wanyama from uh, Southampton. He's a very good sign. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, that, that was done very early on in the transfer window, wasn't it? So um, that one, yeah, just uh, seemed to slip under the radar. But Wanyama, yeah, excellent central midfield player who, who can break up play and will be a great asset to Tottenham. Okay, then. One thing on Tottenham, I think the issue they've got is they, they're not going to change the way they play. And even though it served them very well last year, I think this year is going to be the, it's the Empire Strikes Back. All the big clubs are coming in with big managers, big players, big signings. And, and Tottenham, what they've done, they, they've added depth to Harry Kane's position. They've got a guy to back up Dembele. I mean, those were problem positions, but I don't see like the X factor. I don't see the alternative they're going to have to throw on and change games. Because, I mean, they were very good last season, but I'm not sure a repeat of last season is going to be enough to do what they did in the season to come. And one of the best quotes we've uh, had on the Cop Table podcast there, the, the Empire strike, Strikes Back. That was fantastic, <laughs> Greg. <laughs> you need to get these back on, Pete. You know, they're talking about us winning the league and the quote in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you want? OK, lads. Right, next question. First up is you, Alex. Who's your prediction for the top goal scorer in the Premier League next season? Uh, that's also a, a very, very tough one to, to, to make a call right now. I, mm. I sincerely think it's going to be Sturridge because it, it has to be. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's a tough one. I mean, so many incomings. It could be, you know, someone as surprising as, as Nolito. It could be someone as surprising as, as Ibrahimovic, actually. It could be just basically anyone. It just depends on how uh, the new incoming managers uh, click together. But... Um, I think uh, a very high chance still that, I mean, pragmatically speaking, that Michu Bachwai from Chelsea uh, can can actually be can actually be at the top because this guy has a has a really strong striking rate. Uh, he's already shown in preseason what he can do for Chelsea. I mean, they were playing inferior opposition most of the time, or uh, you know, except the time they played Liverpool, of course. Uh, but um, he he he's been very good, and I think he he has a very strong chance of competing for the top striker. But my heart says it's going to be Sturridge. Um, you can see how different he is to, you know, to last year. I mean, I had a chance to see him up close and personal during the trainings in, in, in the United States. And it seemed that he has um, a very right mindset this time. He's way past his injuries and he's re- he looks really determined to actually be there. And, you know, if, if everything, if all the... Um, formations and tactics below Sturridge on the pitch click together and he's supplied very well. I'm sure that he can score 25-plus goals this season in the league. Thank you very much, Alex. Okay then, Greg, what's your prediction, pal? I think a lot depends on the transfer market and, and what kind of happens before the end of the window. Um, if nothing yeah. changes, I, I think Aguero's a shoo-in. I, I'm, I'm going to have City down to win the league as well. So I think under under Guardiola, just the amount of chances City are going to make and the amount of chances Aguero will finish off if he stays fit, which is, again... The same problem with storage as well. But 
if the rumours are true and Chelsea managed to land Lukaku, I actually think Lukaku at Chelsea with Conte building the whole attack around feeding him, I, I think yeah. that that could be fantastic. I mean, people people often misunderstand what Lukaku is as a player. He's not a target man. He's just a, he's a very very large poacher. If you stick him in the box, send balls through to him to chase onto, he'll he'll score absolute hatfuls. That I think you know because I think if the, if the Lukaku deal does go through, when you look at Conte's past. Whatever formation he's going to play, you'd expect him to play two up, two up top. And even if he has quite a defensive system, two two lads up top, they're going to get goals, aren't they? they, they and Lukaku's got a, a pretty good injury record. He's you know he's, he's a, pretty, a pretty robust player, and you mm. can't imagine him causing problems and a, a more exciting team than, than than what he's been at over the last last few years. Was that a bit of needle there? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think then do you think the same Alex if uh, Lukaku does, does the same it does move to Chelsea do you think he's going to do some damage well absolutely he's going to do more damage in Chelsea with Conte than with Koeman and Everton because Chelsea simply have better players in midfield and they have better suppliers uh, by a country mile than Everton has um, so yeah but if, if Lukaku's uh, transfer to uh, Chelsea materialises that may potentially mean that Benteke may be heading over to Everton, so I completely don't mind. Fine, do that. Great. Okay. Spot on, lads. Thank you very much for your opinions on the top goal scorer there. We've covered most things there, the relegation. We've covered the top four. We've covered the, the lads' predictions for the, the title as well. So what we're going to do now is what we do on the Cop Table podcast each week, usually with our home guest and our away guest, is a little quiz, five-question shootout between the two guests. So what we'll do this week, we'll have Greg, Alex and Stu. You can join in the quiz as well because I've got questions and they're all multiple choice Question, if you just give me an answer one by one, and I shall write them down as we go. So, the first question is going to be, which stadium in the Premier League has the bigger capacity? Is it the Emirates or the Etihad? Ten seconds each. Greg, what's your answer? I'm going to go with Emirates. Emirates. Alex? Uh, I think it's Etihad. Alex, Etihad. Go on, Stu. Emirates. Stu. Okay. I will reveal the answers at the end of the quiz. Second question is... Since the Premier League began, which team, this is like all time, which team has more wins? Is it Arsenal or Chelsea? Total of 924 games. Go on there, Alex, you can go first. Arsenal. Go on, shoot. Arsenal. Greg. Arsenal for me as well, please. All three have gone for Arsenal. No problem. Next question is, which manager has the most promotions to the Premier League from Steve Bruce, Ian Holloway? You go first, Greg. Uh, Bruce for me. Alex? I think it's Holloway. And Stu? I'm going for Bruce as well. Next question is, who has made the most appearances in the Premier League from Jamie Carragher or Rio Ferdinand? Alex, you go first. Carragher. Greg? I got Carragher as well, yeah. Stu? Full house on Carragher. Full house on Carragher, nice one. Okay, and the, the fifth and final question will be, which player has played the most Premier League games without receiving international honours? From Mikel Arteta, Tony Hibbert, or Mark Noble? You can go first, Stu. 
Oh, um, Do you like these questions? <laughs> oh, I was hoping to go last on that one. That was that's the toughest. Noble and who oh, got Noble? Say again, Noble and it was Arteta, Hibbert, or Noble. Um, Noble. You're going for, You're going Mark, for Mark Noble. No. Okay, Greg. Mark Noble. You're going Noble as well, Alex. Um, I think I'll go Arteta. Okay. I shall now. Re- I feel it was noble. <laughs> no, I shall now reveal the answers to the questions. So, the first one was which has stadium has the biggest capacity? The answer was the Emirates. So that's uh, one to Greg and one to Stu. And Alex, you said the Etihad, so that's yep. zero Utsun now for you. Second question was which team has the most wins in the Premier League? You all said Arsenal, which was correct. They have five hundred and two wins. Chelsea has 486. The next question was, which manager has the most promotions? Uh, Greg, you said Bruce, which was correct. Alex, you said Holloway, which was wrong. And Stu, you said Bruce as well, which was correct. Correct. Okay, the next question was, who has made the most Premier League appearances from Jamie Carragher or Rio Ferdinand? The answer was Jamie Carragher. So that's four out of four for you guys. And two for Alex. It was 508 for Carragher, 504 for Ferdinand, so it was pretty close. And the final question was, which player has played the most Premier League games without receiving an international call-up or a cap? And the answer was Mikel Arteta. Ah. You! 282 appearances. Yeah, 282 appearances in the Premier League. Hibbert was 264. Oh, no, sorry, I'm awful sorry. The answer is Mark Noble. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Three hundred and seventeen. So yeah, five out of five for you two guys. Is there a tiebreaker? I'm gonna have to ask a tiebreaker Ooh. question, yeah. And it's gonna be a bit of a tough question. And it's not gonna be a multiple choice either. So you'll get one go each and then it's gonna be like a sudden death until you get the the correct answer. Okay. So just say your name. First off, you get the first choice. As soon as I've ended the question, say Stu or obviously Greg. So the question is, which team's stadium is the closest to the River Mersey? Tramier Rovers, Stu. Stu, you're saying Tramier Rovers. That's incorrect. Do you want to go next, Greg? I reckon it's going to be somewhere outside of Merseyside, isn't it? Oh, that's good. Um, I'll say Everton. Nope, that's incorrect oh. as well. So, right, it's back over to a, a penalty shootout type of situation. Go on, Stu, what's your next guess? Old Trafford. Incorrect. Go on, Greg. After this one, I'll give you a clue. Is it Marine? <laughs> Non-league? <laughs> no, no. I Damn. think that they it is it is a lower league club, and they suffered a, a few relegations, and I think they're playing around the conference now. Go on, Stu. In the conference? I think they're, in the, they're either in the conference, or they might have even been gone lower than the conference now but he was league what league one league two and then he dropped down and they've been in pretty much free fall for the past few seasons not happening since stanley nope go on greg Ooh, i have no idea it's more like a geography test this i know i know <laughs> oh, i don't know try, try to think of northwest geography uh oh, i don't know right um okay i will give you the name of the stadium and then the first to come in the ground is called edgeley park <laughs> still no, no still, still no uh, <laughs> still no takers no absolutely terrible hang on it's, it's not Stockport is it correct oh. which one was it Stockport County oh Jesus they are the closest <laughs> team that play to the River Mersey the, the ground is actually backs onto the River Mersey 
believe it or not. That's one for the pub quizzes, that is. It is. So, fantastic quiz there. Greg, congratulations. You took it with a tiebreaker question. Well done, Alex and, uh, and Stu as well, taking part in that. Fantastic. So now, what I'm going to do before I end the podcast, what we do each week before um, before we finish the podcast is we play uh, an unsigned band or an unsigned artist. This week, we're going to play uh, a band after we put a little... Um, advertisements out on Twitter. We got a lot of uh, bands and solo artists in touch with us asking, can we, can we play their tracks? But we decided on this song. These guys um, sent me a little bio about themselves. I'll just, I'll just read that out before before I play the track. These guys are called the Sneaky Nixons. They describe themselves as an angry, semi-political, semi-religious, part-feminist, sloppy activist group who play riotous, steam train guitar music. They have declared war on electronic dance music, guns, promoters, and non-believers of their rock and roll terrorism. Flashy and arrogant, <laughs> with a startling superiority complex, the band say they have no time whatsoever for humdrum normality, preferring the out-of-control, dangerous and volatile, in order to live their lives in a brutal, riotous and rock and roll fashion. Excellent write-up by the lads there. <laughs> And what <laughs> what they're gonna yeah, and the lads' uh, song that I'm gonna play tonight is called S E X by the Sneaky Nixons. Enjoy this, lads. Have some time. This man just showered with a new kind of soap, a soap so loaded with mint it drives wives wicked.
Perpetual pain, will it ever end? Five minute fame and fake pleasures that we pretend. I like it when she talks about sex, runs me through the choice of underwear that she selects. Thanks very much to Greg. Thanks very much to Stu, Alex, for all coming on the Cop Table podcast of the preview of the 16-17 Premier League season. Good pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thanks very much, Greg, and thanks very much, Stu. I think Alex has lost... We lost him, haven't we? I think we lost his connection, but once again, thanks very much, lads. And that was the Cop Table's preview of the Premier League season. Thanks very much, and our next podcast will be next week when we preview the very first game of the Premier League season, Liverpool versus Arsenal. So for now, goodbye.